Welcome to Wednesdays in the Word. This is a recording of our Wednesday morning Bible study held weekly at Chapel Hill and led by our Minister of Education, Casey Spiker. We walk each week verse by verse through the Scriptures, one book at a time. If you wish to join us in person, we meet each week at 10 a.m. in our sanctuary. We'd love for you to join us. Now let's open up God's Word together and see what God says to us today. All right, we're, in, we're starting off today in Ecclesiastes chapter 2. Only took us three weeks to get through chapter 1, which is, which is not bad. We'll take that, right? Um, so as we finished chapter 1 last week, Solomon sort of gave us a precursor, a, a, an introduction to the fact that he was really start, going to start to get into detail with some of the things that he has done. He's told us, in chapter 1, that, that basically we live in a fallen, broken world, that we live in a world where the things we're going to pursue, the things we're going to chase after, the things we're going to try to accomplish are going to mean absolutely nothing. All right? Now, again, you guys know the, the, the I, I have to say this, right? He's, he's talking about life separated from God. When he talks about this, that is what he is talking about. But today, he is going to jump in and he's going to give us some specific things that he has done. Now, in verses 1 through 3, I'm going to give Warren Wearsby credit for this. Now, this is not me. He says that in verses 1 through 3, he's going to talk about all of the enjoyment in his life. And in verses 4 through 11, he's going to talk about the employment in his life. So today, we're looking at his enjoyment and his employment. All right. So, in the course of chapter 2, which is probably, y'all know, going to take us two or three weeks to unpack and get through, we're going to see several things. Today, he's going to talk about through the course of enjoyment and employment, he's going to be basically talking about pleasure, the things that he did to try to, to satisfy himself, to try to make himself happy and fulfilled in his life. And next week, the next couple of things that we're going to look at, he's going to talk about wisdom, and he's going to tell you it's meaningless. I know y'all are shocked by that, but that's what he's going to tell us. Wisdom is meaningless. Today, he's going to tell us that pleasure is meaningless. He's also, in this chapter, going to tell us that work is meaningless. He's going to sort of talk about that a little bit today, but he's really going to get into detail with the, the, the work later on in this chapter. But at the end of chapter 2, at the end of chapter 2, he's going to conclude all of this and tell us that we find our meaning, we find our hope in God and in the things of God. Now, he's already told us that. We've already come to that conclusion for the last three weeks. I have already given you that information, right? So this is not a surprise. This is the theme of the book of Ecclesiastes. Everything we try is useless. The things of God are not useless. They are important and they are fulfilling, okay? So we're going we're gonna to look in depth today. Now, as I was sitting typing notes this morning and, and, and coming up with what I wanted to write down and what I wanted to say, the Lord really put this on my heart. Now, He's going to give us some specific things that He tried. Today we're going to talk about uh, alcohol. Today we're going to talk about laughter. Today we're going to talk about the work, the things that He built, the things that He did with His hands, the things that He had, had done. He was essentially trying to get back and create a paradise just like God had already created. He just wanted the best of everything. Okay? But now, in the course of this today, He's going to lay out for you, and He's going to become very transparent with you, and He's going to tell you the exact things that He did. 
Now, as, as humans, and really still even as Christians, our, we have several responses when we see other people's sins or their shortcomings or the things that, 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 that sort of set them back in life. And, and our response is one, we feel sorry for them. We just kind of go, oh, bless their heart. Anybody ever said that before? Oh, bless their heart. That is a, <laughs> that is a sort of, of sympathy or empathy towards those people. Our heart goes out to them for what they're going through. But now we also, as, as humans and as, as believers, we have some other responses in this thing. We, sometimes we just look at their sins and their shortcomings, and our response is, good grief, I can't believe they did that. Has anybody ever thought that about somebody else when they saw or heard or experienced? Look, you, I'm not going to ask you to raise your hands, because I know you have. I have, you have. We, it, it's part of our human response to things. I can't believe oh so and so did that. We can't, we can't, we can't feel sorry. Say it again. Absolutely. Our, our parents, our friends, our coworkers, everybody said that stuff about us somewhere along the way. Yeah, we do. We, we, we catch ourselves saying, you know, I'm glad that's not me. I'm glad I'm not the one doing that. The truth is, we have a tendency to look down on the sins of other people because they're not the things that we struggle with. When we struggle with the same thing as somebody else, we have a little more sympathy or a little more empathy towards that. At the end of the day, y'all, if you were writing this letter, if somebody charged you or encouraged you to sit down and write a letter to somebody as a, as a letter of warning, urging them to consider all of the things you have done and stay clear of them, your book would have lists, your letter would have a list just like Solomon's. And so this hit me this morning today. This really has nothing to do with the lesson, but at the same time it kind of does. I mean, it really does because I'm going to talk about it. But our job as believers should never be to look down on or abandon someone else going through a difficult time. Because what's saying there, but, but by the grace of God... It, it, that could be me. I, it, and at the same time, it is me because I'm struggling with things. I have struggles in my life. You have struggles in your life. Things that we face that if we could just say, stay away from this, we would. So listen, this is for free. This is completely, uh, this is completely, is not, you're gonna, not going to find what I'm telling you right now in the Scripture. This is for me. Y'all, as Christians, we have to do better. We have to do better at the, finding those people who are struggling with sin, finding those people who feel isolated and cast out. We can't do that to our own. We certainly can't do it to believers. But y'all, the, the burden even extends further than that. We're to love one another. In 1 Corinthians, y'all know, tell, tells us the list of things that love is supposed to be. Patient, kind, enduring, uh, Y'all know the list, right? All of those things that we are supposed to do, we have to do it to show others. Now that was for free. We're, we, we have a tendency to read Solomon's list and think, I can't believe he struggled with that. Well, guess what? You have things that you struggle with and I have things that we, I struggle with as well. Okay? So now, let's jump in here. We're going to read verses 1 through 11 in chapter 2 today. Verses 1 through 11 in chapter 2. 
Solomon begins by writing here in chapter 2, verse 1. He says this, I said to myself, come now, I will test you with pleasure. So enjoy yourself. And behold, it too was futility. I said of laughter, it's madness. And of pleasure, what does it accomplish? I explored with my mind how to stimulate my body with wine while my mind was guiding me wisely and how to take hold of folly until I could see what good there is for the sons of men to do under heaven the few years of their lives. All right, so that's, that's the enjoyment part. When we get to verse 4, he starts talking about the employment and the results of that. Verse 4, he says, I enlarged my works. I built houses for myself. I planted vineyards for myself. I made gardens and parks for myself, and I planted in them all kinds of fruit trees. I made ponds of water for myself from which to irrigate a forest of growing trees. I, I, I bought male and female slaves, and I had homeborn slaves. Also, I possessed flocks and herds larger than all who preceded, preceded me in Jerusalem. Also, I collected for myself silver and gold and the treasure of kings and provinces. I provided myself male and female singers and the pleasures of men, many concubines. Then I became great and increased more than all who preceded me in Jerusalem. My wisdom also stood by me. Now listen, this is the important part. Listen to verses 10 and 11. He says this, All that my eyes desired, I didn't refuse them. I didn't withhold my heart from any pleasure. For my heart was pleased because of all my labor. And this was, listen to his logic, this was my reward for all my labor. Thus, I considered all my activities which my hands had done and the labor which I exerted. And behold, all was what? Vanity and striving after wind, and there was no profit under the sun. All right, so let's look. Let's dig in here. The first thing he says is he's finding pleasure in his enjoyment. In chapter, in chapter 2, verses 1 through 3, he's going to give us a list. But in verse 1, we see right out of the gate, and I, my, I, I entitled this, he's doing a field test. <laughs> he's doing an experiment in his life, if you want to just unpack that and come down to, to our terms today. In verse 1, he says, I said to myself, come now, I will test you with pleasure. So enjoy yourself. Now, note this. This this experiment that he's going to do in his life takes place after he's already established that everything's useless. Everything's meaningless. He's already looked. He's already worked. He's already done all of these things. He's already told us in chapter 1 what he's tried, where he's gone. All of this is useless. And in his life, he has yet to find fulfillment. So now in chapter 2, he's going to tell us. So based on that theory, based on that premise that everything is useless, I simply just decided to go out and enjoy myself and have fun and see what happened. That's verse 1 of chapter 2. That's where his heart is. That's where he's leaning. That's where he's coming from here, okay? He's he's basically come up to this, this place with an attitude of what's the point? What's the point? If this is all there is to life, then I might as well just go out and enjoy myself. Now, before you start to think, I wonder if that would work. And look, I'm I'm talking to a wise group of people here this morning in this room, and if you're listening right now, 
Maybe you don't think this either. But uh, he, maybe you're wondering, I wonder if that would work. I, I've tried everything else, nothing seemed to work. So I've just decided I'm going to go out and, help, and, and enjoy myself. Let me warn you, spoiler alert, at the end of this passage, he says this in verse 1, And behold, it was futility, vanity, emptiness. He's literally telling you that he tried every conceivable thing. And his list of every conceivable thing is different than yours and mine because he's the richest man that ever lived. Okay, You aren't, and I'm not. Okay, You may be rich, you're not Solomon rich. Okay, So everything that was at his disposal is different than the things that are at yours and mine. Now, I, granted, we live in a different time and we have things at our access that he didn't have. I get all of that. You see my point, though. Okay. All right. So the question that was just asked, did he make a conscious decision to do these things? My answer is yes. He decided in this moment, I have tried everything else. I've done these things. So here I go. When he says, let's put this to the test, he's basically saying, I want to just try and see if what works. He's not, it's not, he doesn't accidentally end up in bars. He doesn't accidentally end up with comedians at his disposal. He does every bit of this on purpose. And all he's trying to do is fill that hole. He's trying to fill that emptiness. He's trying to find that satisfaction that he's yet to be able to find. So yes, in my opinion, this is absolutely a decision that he set out to do. He made it. He, he, he dreamed it. He thought it. And doggone it, he pursued it with everything that he had. All right, the question, did he have God in his heart when he decided to do this? Solomon grew up, obviously, in a household that knew about God. Solomon is, I, in my mind, this person who had an understanding, a head knowledge of who God was. But at no point in his life, until he's tried everything else, did he have, develop that heart knowledge of God. Y'all know the background of Solomon. Clearly, he, had, he grew up. He knew what who God was. But now I just think he tried, and then look, you have children or grandchildren or friends with children and grandchildren that grew up in church. Had a conversation with somebody last week who says, I'm praying for my granddaughter because they're doing this and we're trying. We're trying. And look, we do that, right? We try. We try to pour in, but at the end of the day, that person is responsible. In this moment, Solomon is responsible for himself. It doesn't matter what King Daddy told him, Right? And what he taught him about God, it only matters what he does with it. And look, that applies to me and you. You can know everything there is to know about God, but if you choose not to do anything with it, it doesn't help you at all. Right? The question is, do I think at this point he was away from God and didn't have a relationship with God? And my answer is yes. And think in this moment, I think that's a great analogy. I think he's running. I think he's... He, he wants, in his mind, he's smart, he's got this wisdom, he's got this information, he's the smartest guy, the richest guy that's ever lived. He thinks there's surely there's got to be something other than that religion, right? And you know, again, you know people that feel that way too, right? That religion is just a bunch of stories, it's just a bunch of gobbledygook, it's just a bunch of this. There's got to be a better way than just believing some guy died 2,000 years ago, right? Probably so. <laughs> The question is, weren't we like that? Yes. Yes. Maybe not to this extent. Maybe not to this extreme. I got saved at eight. 
I was not this. Even in my life, when I was maybe, maybe backslidden and drifted a little bit, I was never this, right? But we all, we all have every single human. It's part of the human condition. Every single human tries to fill that hole with as many things as they can fill that God-sized hole with. And God oftentimes is the last resort. Which again, y'all, which again, which again is the reason he's writing this book. It says to his son, but it's to you, it's to me, right? To warn us, it's a cautionary tale. Here's the thousands of things I tried. None of them worked. There's no reason for you to waste your time trying the same things. He could have written it. He could have written it. That's the Cliff's Notes version, right? He could have written it that short, but he didn't want to. And plus, our Bible study would have been like one day through the book of Ecclesiastes. This is better, right? This is better. All right? So now, the specific things that Solomon tried. When we get into verses 2 and 3, we get into verses 2 and 3, he lists three specific things. And then as the chapter goes on, he kind of alludes to some other things. The first thing he says is that he tried laughter. He tried laughter. It's a simple one, right? It's an easy one. I, if I asked you how many of you love to laugh, is anybody not going to raise their hand? Is anybody going to say, I don't love it. I don't want to laugh ever. No, why would we? Do? We enjoy laughter. We enjoy being together so that we can cut up and we can carry on. We can make each other laugh. I think I'm really funny and I think I make a lot of people laugh. I probably don't. That's really probably all in my head. But we enjoy laughter. We enjoy laughter, okay? My favorite movies to watch. I love to watch a movie that makes me laugh. I mean, I like other things too, but my, the thing, and I'm talking, I don't mean like comedic genius. I mean like stupid stuff, like stupid funny. That's the kind of stuff I enjoy watching on TV. I've got a really weird, quirky sense of humor, and I like weird things because weird things make me laugh, okay? I love to laugh. If I'm going to sit down and watch a movie, almost every time, unless it's, I can name you a few, uh, Tombstone, A Few Good Men, those are pretty serious that I like more than the comic, but now I want to watch something that's funny. And I'll, I'll, I'll even go a step further. On my phone, there are times when I'm bored and I have nothing to do. I just pull my phone up because basically they all, it's, a, it's a computer, right? I have a computer in my hand. I can walk around with a computer all the time in my back pocket, but I've got I got several places I go and look. I go to Facebook, and Facebook has started putting these things on there called Reels. Instagram has Reels. YouTube has Shorts. They're basically just 30, 20, 10, 40-second video clips. And most of them, some of them are are inspirational. Some of them are designed to teach you things. But most of them are just like people falling off a log. And you just go, ha, ha, that's the funniest thing I've ever seen, right? Now, here's what happens when you sit down with a reel or a YouTube video or or a Facebook thing. Here's what happens. These people that have created these things are smart enough to know that when you've watched one, what are you very likely to do? You're going to watch another one. And let me tell you how smart they are. Within, If you watch more than two seconds or three seconds of one, the next one you watch is going to be similar to that. They are, they are so locked in with these logarithms and whatever they have that, de- that decides how all of this works that when you start scrolling, it is basically 
finding other videos like the one you just watched. So if you like watching people on skateboards fall off and you think that's funny, then the next one you scroll up is probably going to be another dude on a skateboard that falls off because that's just hilarious, right? So it doesn't have to be that. It can be anything, right? So when you, when you see one and it's something you don't like and you scroll it up real quick, they don't show you anymore like that. Now, when you're watching Facebook Reels and your Instagram Reels and you're watching videos on YouTube, this logarithm is deciding what you want to watch. And they have literally developed a term for these things called a rabbit hole. Anybody ever heard the term rabbit hole? It basically means that when you sit down with these things, they know that if you watch one or two, you're going to watch one or 200. And my biggest problem with this is at night, Jennifer goes and gets ready for bed and she's putting on her face and brushing her teeth and all this other stuff. And it takes me like 30 seconds to get ready for bed. So I'm sitting there doing all this and my thumb is getting a workout. I have got the strongest right thumb. You would be amazed at the strength in my right thumb from doing this little motion right here on my phone all the time. I generally find myself watching like 20 minutes of these stupid things. They serve no purpose. And that's my point. It's nothing more than a waste of time. I may chuckle a few times. I may laugh out loud. Uh, when Troy was home this past weekend, and Saturday night, Friday night, one, I don't remember what night, I literally sat in the recliner with the two of them behind me watching reels. For like 15 minutes. Telling on myself a little bit, right? But you know why? Because one could be funny, and it nothing, no, none of them were ever funny enough that I went, you know, I should probably just quit right there. That one's funny. I wonder what the next one's going to be. That thumb just sitting there, just sliding up and sliding those videos up. It's, a, it's, it's phenomenal. Solomon is basically saying the same thing. I I literally have tried everything. I want to laugh. I want to have a great time. And he says it's useless. He says it's temporary. Yeah, it might give you a shot of uh, an endorphin boost or something that that helps you, but it's going to fade. It's not going to last. You can hear the funniest joke that's ever been told and laugh and laugh and laugh and laugh and laugh, and in five minutes you're going to be doing something else because it's over, right? Okay? So, laughter. He tried laughter. It didn't work. It wasn't enough, okay? The next thing he mentions in these verses is he says that he tries, and I want to, this is an interesting verse, okay? Because in verse three, he said, I explored with my mind how to stimulate my body with wine. Okay, now let's stop right there. You need to know that this is not a lesson on whether you should drink, whether you shouldn't drink. We're not talking about what the Bible says about alcohol. We're not getting into that lesson. If you had 100 Christians in a room and you gave them a list of questions about alcohol, you're going to get about 75 different opinions on whether you should drink, whether you shouldn't drink, how much is okay, how much is too much. This is not that discussion today, okay? I will say this. The interesting thing about this verse to me is that he says this. He did this. He did it to stimulate his body, but he also says that his mind was guiding him wisely. Okay, stop and think about that. Now, y'all know I read commentaries. I read different, different people's opinions. And they were, they were, this is basically an enigma. This is a confusing statement, basically, right? He, he drank enough that it stimulated, it changed him, it gave him the tinglys or whatever alcohol does. I have no idea. He did all of that, but never enough to where he lost control. That's the way he writes it. That's the way he writes it. That's the way I read it, okay? Now, We do know this, okay? 
we do know this. We don't know what that means. You know, sometimes I don't know is the right answer. I don't know if that means he got sloppy drunk and fell down and he always needed somebody to carry him home. I don't know if it meant that he had one because he just really liked the way the wine tasted. I don't know what any of that means. I don't know if he got drunk or if he didn't. I don't know if he got out of control or if he was completely in control at all times. I don't have any idea, okay? But I do know this. And again, this is not a should you, should you not, but I do know this. Not many good things start with alcohol. Not many good things start with alcohol. You can argue there may be health benefits to a glass of wine. Fine, we can have that discussion some other day. You can argue some of these things, but not many good things begin with alcohol. And here, he, he, he completely jumps on board with that premise. Because what does he say? At the end, he says all of this, he basically says, what does it accomplish? What does it serve? He says it, it's, it takes hold of folly. He realizes that though it may have tasted good, he may have liked the way it made him feel for a season, all of that is, is not what we're talking about. He realized that it wasn't the answer. Now, you can't turn on the TV without seeing some kind of alcohol commercial. And all they're trying to do is convince you that that's the thing that's missing from your life. They are trying to convince you that if you just have one beer, if you just have one wine cooler, if you just have a bottle of wine, if you just have a something, I don't know, I don't, that's the only things I can tell you about. If, 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 if you just have one, all your troubles are going to disappear. And look, they may for a few minutes. They may for an hour. If you drink enough, it may knock you out and you may pass out completely. And guess what? In that moment, you probably don't seem to have many cares other than, am I going to wake up from this? But your problems are still going to be there when you wake up. It's not going to take away, it's not going to change anything in your life. And so he finishes this with, with this statement. He could see what good there is for the sons of men to do under heaven for the few years of their lives. We're going, to, we're going to keep reading, and he's going to talk about some more things. He's going to talk about women. He had 700 wives, 300 concubines. Ms. Pat pointed out earlier that you can go to 1 Kings chapter 11, verse 1, and you can see, basically, he just said he loved women. He loved women. He had them from everywhere. He brought them in from everywhere. He had 700 wives. I, I can't understand the concept of that. Um. 700 wives. He had, on top of that, he had 300 concubines. Concubines, without getting into way too much detail, basically their purpose, their sole job in the king's court was to satisfy him in whatever sexual desire he had. As far as we're going to go with that, okay? But that was their job. That was the reason he brought them in was to fulfill his sexual needs. He had musicians, he's got actors, he's going to tell us all of this in just a minute. Oh, none of it, none of it, none of it works. All useless. We transition then into verses 4 through 11, and he starts to talk about the other things. He starts to find pleasure in his employment, or he tries to find pleasure in his employment. In verse 4, he says this, I enlarged my works. 
Basically, he says, I decided all those things, laughter and, and alcohol and wine and, and, and women and all these other things didn't work, so I decided I'd just go out and try to create. Just try to go out and create the greatest things I could possibly create. He had the finest houses. He had, the, he had house for himself. He, had, he built houses for his wives. He obviously built a house for God. He built the temple, Right? We know that he set out to build these enormous, the greatest architecture. No uh, expense was spared. He, whatever it took, he was going out to do. It also tells us then that he built vineyards. He built gardens. He literally, somebody wrote that he was literally trying to rebuild the Garden of Eden. He was trying to find this perfect place. This place of peace, this place of perfection, this place of fulfillment. He says in, in verse 5, he says, I made gardens and parks and I planted all kinds of trees. Whatever I could find to plant, whatever was available, I built this garden and it was, it was amazing. What else did he build? It says that he, he built parks. He built ponds. He, he built these ponds, these, these big... and and, and you can literally still find, I Google, I, I, somebody said this and I Googled it the other day, you can Google Solomon's pools and it'll bring up these big images of things that he built. Some are like lakes or little ponds that were used for irrigation. Some look like pools that people went into to swim. You can still see them. They're still around. They have survived this time. He built all of these things. All of these things trying to, to say, I did that. I built that. I accomplished that. You ever built something you were proud of? You ever made something you were proud of? But I, I equate this. One of my favorite things, one of my favorite things in the world is the moment the yard is finished. I'm not talking about when, the, when I'm pushing the mower or when I'm running the weed eater in 100 degree heat with jeans and all this stuff. I'm not talking about those moments. I'm talking about when I get in the car to go get me a Gatorade after I finish the yard and I look at the yard and I go, man, that looks good. I pat myself on the back a little bit. I feel real good about myself in that moment. Y'all, I've accomplished something. I've done something. I've created something. But back when it used to rain, what happens to the yard? Oh, it. I got to do it again next week. And then I got to do it the week after that. And the week after that. You see, all of these things, he was trying to build this, this kingdom. He was trying to build this elaborate setup. He, he's trying to build paradise. He's trying to build perfection. He wants this place where he can go and get away from everything. And it is absolutely perfect. And that place doesn't exist. You can build the nicest home. You can build the nicest whatever something you can build, right? And it, it's still just going to be I got a couple of things at home uh, that I have. I'm not. I'm not a handy person at all. I'm really not. But now, a couple of years ago, probably one of the, one of the things that I have done that I'm the most proud of. Jennifer had a twin uh, a twin bed, two head, uh, two, a headboard and a footboard that were her mother's. And she comes in one day and basically, I want that to be a bench. And I looked and I I don't I don't have that skill set. 
And you know what? She, she prodded me and she encouraged me. And she really did. She, was, she encouraged me that I could do it. You know what? We have a sitting in our foyer right now, a bench that I made. I took, I took them and cut them in half. I've got the, the, head, the, the back is the headboard. I cut the footboard in half. I attached it to the headboard. I built the little thing right in the middle. It really, it... Loy, you'd be proud of it. It's good. It's good. We don't put anything over that weighs more than like four pounds on it because I'm not sure it's going to hold it up. Like we don't sit on it. We don't have it at the table or anything. But I'm really, I'm, I really am. I'm really proud of how it turned out. You know what? It just sits over in a corner with stuff on it. it. We use it for decoration. It's lovely. All it does just, just sits there and we decorate it for Thanksgiving and we decorate it for Christmas. It's lovely. I, I have sat on it. I have sat on it. I wouldn't like for a long time. But it's got screws and nails. It's fine. It ain't going nowhere. At least not with a three-ounce uh, pillow of a pumpkin. It's, it's fine. It's fine. So he does, he does all of this, y'all. All of this is strictly just to, I did that. I did that. I did that. Look at what I've done. Look at what I accomplished. Look at what I did. As a matter of fact, the rest of these things that he mentioned in this verse, in these verses, he starts talking about what is he, where is he at? He says in verse 7, I bought male and female slaves. I even had people that I owned. I even had people. You think slavery is something that happened in the 1800s, and it did, but it started a long time before that. Solomon tells us, I had male slaves, I had female slaves, I had slaves that lived in my home, I had slaves that went out and did all my work for the work that I didn't want to accomplish. I got somebody else to go do it. I even had my own people, Right? That I got flocks and herds larger than all who preceded me. In verse 8, he says, I collected gold and silver and the treasure of kings. And he says, I bought land. I, I, I own countries. I own, I own cities and, and then countries. And I own all of this stuff. And then he finishes verse 8, I provided for myself male and female singers. I, I, I can respect a guy that likes to listen to some live music. I love to go listen to live music, even if it's music I don't like. If it's somebody just standing on a stage, just putting it all out there, I love to hear that. I love to hear that. And he did too. He brought him in. He brought him, just brought him right into the palace. And again, not to, not to go into way too much detail here, but he finishes verse 8, and the pleasures of men, we don't have to imagine far to figure out what he's talking about there, because he says, I had many concubines. He says 300. Y'all, if you can name it, he tried it. You can name it, he tried it. He didn't, he didn't dabble in any of these things. He didn't go out and, and dip his toe in the pool to try it. He jumped in in full scuba gear and swam in it until he just couldn't swim anymore. Right? That's how he knew these things just didn't work. And y'all, this is, this may be the saddest thing in all of Scripture. When you get to verse 10. This literally may be one of the saddest statements anybody makes anywhere in Scripture. It's heartbreaking. It should, it should change us. It should speak to us. It, it's really powerful. He says in verse 10, all that my eyes desired, I did not refuse them. 
He 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 set out. He he debauched and he he oh, golly y'all everything you can imagine. He tried. He finishes that verse. Listen, I didn't withhold my heart from any pleasure. My heart was pleased. Listen, and this was his. I said this a few minutes ago when I read it. But y'all, this was his. This was his reasoning for doing this. For my heart was pleased because of all of my labor, and this was the reward for my labor. His his payment to himself, his his pat on the back to himself was just go out and blow it all and to throw himself into all these things because he thought he'd earned it. He thought he deserved it. We live up the road. We live right next to a gas station. It's right up here on the corner. And I, can, I can't tell you, we stop in there some afternoon, Friday afternoon, going places to get gas, and I can't tell you how many people are going in with their paycheck and coming out with a case of something on their shoulder. It's the reward. It's the reward for all they've done all week long. And they literally, they work Monday through Friday, and they work hard. I'm not, I'm not questioning any of that, okay? I'm not questioning any of that. And then they come home on Saturday and Sunday, Friday night, Saturday, and in the Sunday, they spend trying to forget that they worked hard. Their, their payment, their reward is that case of whatever they've got carrying on their shoulder. Y'all, this is, again, this is one of the saddest things we read in Scripture. I didn't withhold my heart from any pleasure. My heart was pleased because of all my labor, and this was my reward for my labor. And what makes it even sadder is verse 11, because verse 11 says, Thus, I considered all of my activities, everything we've just talked about plus some, I considered them all, which my hands had done, and the labor which I exerted, And doggone it, at the end of the day, it was all still useless. Y'all, the sad thing is this. This is is the sad part. There's an easy answer. Right? There's an easy answer to what's missing. Solomon's going to tell us about it. We've already talked about it. You already know what it is. Most of you, all of you, I pray in this room. And if you're listening, I hope you've made this decision, right? The thing that's missing is not stuff. It's not money. It's not jobs. It's not, it's not women. It's not possessions. It's not vineyards. It's not pools. It's not houses. It's not cars. It's not a bigger TV. It's not a bigger bank account. It's not any of those things. And look, I'm not saying there's anything wrong with those things. Okay? Those things, when, we're, when they're used and when they're put into God, as part of God's plan, as part of God's purpose for your life, Obviously, God has given me a wife that's, that's within the context of God, and it's good, right? That's within the context of God's plan. God has allowed me to have a job. I'm satisfied. I, 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 you guys understand the level of fulfillment that I receive from doing the job God has called me to do. I tell you all all the time, nobody has more fun at this church than I do. I'm, live, I'm living the dream, baby. I'm, just, I'm having more fun than I know what to do with, Okay? Uh, watching people worship, teaching God, it does not get any better. But there are people out there who are putting, their, God, their job has become their God. Their job has become their God. 
That, that case that they walk out of the gas station with on Friday afternoon has become their God. Their bank account has become their God. Their car has become their God. Their nice, lovely yard has become their God. And God forbid, even some good things, some people have made their family their God. Their children are their God. And anything other than God is not God. It's not. There's an easy answer to all of this. Turn to Jesus. Trust Christ. Acknowledge that you've tried everything else and it didn't work. Maybe God really is the answer. Maybe God really is the answer, right? God is the answer. Not one single thing of those things can you take with you after death. That's exactly right. That's exactly right. But God, you're going to Him. You're going to Him. You're going to be where He is and that is the important part. Solomon's message, y'all, this is, this is it. You may get all that you ever wanted, but you'll not want it when you get it. You may get all that you ever wanted, but you will not want it when you get it. And the reason for that is because it's not, it's not where you're going to find your satisfaction. It's not where you're going to find your satisfaction. I put this out this morning. This, this was not a quote. I, I, I came up with this. Do what makes you happy is a great t-shirt. It's a great bumper sticker. But it is horrible theology. It is horrible, horrible theology. Because what you think makes you happy most of the time will be the thing that draws you away from God. The thing that you think is going to be the fulfilling thing in your life is most likely going to take you away from God. You were never called, believer, you were never called to be happy. The theme today is exactly that. Follow your heart. Do what makes you happy because that's all that matters. And Solomon has spent hours and hours writing. We've already spent four hours and we're only like, 11 verses into chapter 2. That clearly is not true, is it? You do you. Follow your heart. Your, your heart is wicked. Your heart needed Jesus to die on the cross so that you can get into heaven. Your heart was a failure. Do you do you? That's a, that's a, that's a, that's a theme that's going to take you straight to hell. There's no other way around any of that. There's no other way around it. Do what makes you happy is great. Is great. It's a great bumper sticker. It looks really good on the back end of your car. It's going to lead you straight to hell. It's terrible theology. Solomon's telling us this. Solomon's telling you this. Solomon's telling me this. He wants us to understand all of this, right? Pleasure and happiness in itself, not bad things. Nothing wrong with pleasure. Nothing wrong with being happy. Unless pleasure and happiness become your God. At that point, we've all got a problem. Pleasure is not the answer. Solomon's made that pretty clear today. Thanks for joining us today. We hope you enjoyed listening to what God had to say to us. If you have any questions about today's Bible study, you can call our church office at 205-339-4071, and we will be glad to answer any questions you might have. God bless you, and we hope to see you again next week.